0: Welcome to Dismantle Racism, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism, and really to create a world where racial equity is the norm. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, and today we are going to be taking a look at the role of clergy In this fight for social justice and racial equity, we know that the church is often where people go when they are confused and frustrated or in pain, in need of refuge, and so they turn to clergy, they turn to uh, worship, they turn to their faith community for just uh, spiritual uh, a comfort. And so sometimes when they get to church, they don't want to really deal with the social ills of the world, but yet many of our faith practices and beliefs really tell us that we should be concerned about what is happening in the world. So today we're going to be talking with uh, my guest about what is the role of clergy and what has been some of her experiences with Wielding her power in the pulpit to discuss uh, racial and social justice. But as always, I want us to take a moment to center ourselves and to find our breath. By doing so, it connects us with life itself and with our higher level of consciousness. And it prepares us for this conversation on race, racism, and social and racial equity. So if you would, for a moment, I'd like you just to take a deep breath in and then to release it and take another deep breath in and take a mental scan of where you are and feel the tension that might be in your body. And I invite you to sigh it out and let it go and to release it Take another deep breath in, being conscious of your thoughts in this moment, how comfortable or perhaps uncomfortable you are with this conversation, and then just let it go. And breathe in a desire to be open, to be fluid, to be aware. And then breathe out any tension that holds preconceived notions. Breathe in peace and harmony. And then just sigh out anything that would block you from hearing something new in this conversation today. (sighs) That feels good. Today I am going to be talking with a friend and a fellow clergy the Reverend Shannon White and we are going to be discussing the pressures the pressures of having a platform during a time of uncertainty and the challenges that are confronting us today and so I'd like to welcome my guest today Reverend Shannon White. Shannon welcome to the show. I am delighted and honored
1: to be here with you.
0: Thank you. I'm so delighted to have you. I'm really excited. So I want to tell people a little bit about you. Reverend Shannon is um, a Presbyterian minister, and she's been one for over 30 years, and she's served in four congregations in New York and in Connecticut. She's also been a TV reporter for about nine years and uh, with several Emmy nominations and other awards, and she is the author of the Invisible Conversations with Your Aging Parents, and How Was School Today? Fine, which she co-authored with her daughter Peyton. And I think that her books gives us a little give us a little bit of insight into Shannon. It shows that she is able to have the difficult conversations that are often needed for us to navigate life. She is currently training with the Hoffman Institute to be a teacher. And the Hoffman Institute offers a residential week-long transformational process, and it's based in California. So again, I'm delighted to have you. We are going to jump right in with our uh, questions. I always begin by asking my guests to really talk to us and, and to share with us how you ground yourself just for doing work on racial and social justice, but getting through life itself. Now, I will be the first to acknowledge that often as a clergy person, one who cares for the souls of others, it's often hard for us to carve out that time mm-hmm. to care for ourselves, but it is so critical that we do it. So what's your practice?
1: That's a great question and an important one to ask of clergy, because I've read so many of so many who have burned out during this time of COVID. So I've been introduced to a practice through the Hoffman Institute, um, in which I'm training, that talks about ourselves as a quadrinity of emotional self, intellectual self, body And spiritual self, meaning the spiritual self being the part of us that is most authentic and our true essence of inside ourselves. It's nothing outside of ourselves. It's who we are in our essence. So when you take time, when I take time in the morning to go through and check in with each of those pieces of myself, what are my emotions? What am I actually feeling? Not what am I thinking about, but what am I feeling right now? where does that sit in my body Mm -hmm. what am i thinking and oftentimes there's a war between the emotional self and the intellectual self and then what does my spiritual self have to say when i give voice to each of those pieces i feel grounded and ready and there's nobody at war with inside so Mm -hmm. i can begin with that as well as prayer and meditation
0: Mm, I love that so, so much. And with the work that I do, I'm often talking about tapping into what I call our sacred intelligence, which is that spiritual piece that guides us along the way. Sounds like a fascinating program that you're involved in. And I know that um, I read in your bio, as I just read, that you're going to be doing some training in that area in those three practices. It sounds exciting.
1: Indeed, and it's actually a two-year training process. And this this work, I went actually and participated in the process back in 2008. It changed my life because I had been stuck in certain ways of being ever since childhood and could never, even, as much as I wanted to and as much work as I had done, I never got to getting to new behavior. So that's what this does in a week-long piece. And it's it's extraordinary. It's been going on for well over 40 years trains out of, um, or they offer programs out of California and Connecticut, um, hoffmaninstitute.org uh, is where you'd go to look.
0: Hmm. So I'm really um, curious, when you talk about tapping into those three areas, if we talked about looking at conversations around racism, for instance, how might tapping into those three areas help us with the ease and the flow not that the conversation won't be uncomfortable and difficult but how might it help us to even get through the conversations
1: right really good question so for me if i'm aware that i'm uncomfortable in a situation if i can go in and tap into what am i feeling right now what is my intellectual what are my thoughts coming in about those feelings or about what what judgments are coming in that's what the intellectual self will talk about like, uh, measuring up or measuring, not measuring up to other people. And then where does it sit in my body? If I can get in touch with all of that and then connect with the spiritual self, which is what I really want to be and what I truly am deep underneath all that too, then there's a chance for me to be present in the conversation or in the situation and not be acting out of old patterns that I may have known of fear or anxiety, or I can just be present to what's there.
0: So how does a person get to that point? Because I can imagine a listener's listening and going, well, if I'm in the middle of a conversation, I'm not going to stop and do all of that. So, you know, how does one get to that point where they're able to do that, that quick check
1: in? So it 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 gives you a beat, right? So when you practice that, it gives you a beat to not be reactive. So you really have to just kind of practice it enough to where you can go in and go, oh, and and so many of us, including myself, didn't grow up with words of feeling words, right? So to feel ashamed or to feel afraid, um, that those are, they're not accepted necessarily in adult life. So to be able to put words onto that and to say, oh, wow, I'm feeling, uncomfortable here and to be curious about that it gives kind of a step if you're in the middle of a conversation or if you're in the middle of a situation that is causing you discomfort and in this conversation around racism that is true for a lot of white people um, then to understand where that's coming from and that your the spiritual your true essence really wants to connect with other people but it's Mm. those other pieces that may keep us from wanting to make the next step in conversation relationship. Mm, I love it.
0: I love it because as I hear you talking about this, one of the things that I keep thinking about is the importance of us training to do this work. We don't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to check into all three of these areas every second I have. It is about the process of going through a program, going through you know a training, learning more about ourselves so that we become more comfortable doing, doing like a quick scan in the middle of the conversation. And it's hard, right? So hard. You know, when I'm in conversations with people and they said something to like prick my ego, because I, I often refer to it as ego that you have to kind yes. of check. You know, even when we're saying, oh, that hurt my feelings, we're making it about something that's not, you know, I have to do a quick scan of myself and it may not be the same three questions that you're asking, but it may be more of, okay, what's that about? Those feelings that are coming up for you right now. And then to say, sit and listen. And so I could see the tools that you are offering being critical to folks who want to engage in this conversation about race and to help us evolve to this place of getting to the next step.
1: It's so true. And I didn't even know that there were those different pieces going on inside. So to be able to kind of separate it out and know that the emotional self is oftentimes relating as a little child Mm -hmm. who doesn't know its place. And then the intellectual kind of coming in and going, okay, so figuring out things. So, in kind of spreading it out a little bit and listening to the different aspects, at least for me in, in my own um, process and practice, it's been so helpful just to kind of give another way to be curious about myself and not to be so hard on myself.
0: Hmm. And, and we're going to take a, a quick break, but what I will say, if we can recognize that that's what's happening inside of us, then it also helps us to know that when we're engaging with someone else in a conversation, that they may be responding from one of those three places and not from all of those places. And maybe it would help us to understand them a little bit better. But we are going to need to take a break and we'll be right back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back.
2: That's the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon, on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, We Journey Into the Awareness, that the mind of god is the true seat of our personal consciousness we join together each monday at 7 p.m so
1: tune in on talk radio nyc
2: you're listening to talk radio nyc uplift educate empower
0: Reverend Shannon, before the uh, break, we were having a great conversation about how you ground yourself daily, but also how you ground yourself and it helps you to move through difficult conversations on um, race. But I want to know how you got interested and concerned and involved with really wanting to look at racial equity in the first place, because it's it's outside of so many people's sphere of concern. And we're going to get into that a little bit, particularly as it relates to some of the churches that you've worked in. Um, how did you get interested in this?
1: It started a long time ago. Um, when I, I'm, I'm kind of an old lady now, <laughs> but um, when I, uh, I, I, undergraduate school I um, did a short stint in banking and then I went to Japan for a year to teach English as part of a church planting program and what I learned in that year which was one of the most difficult as well as the most rewarding years of my life was what it was like to be treated by others solely on the basis of what I looked like Mm -hmm. so it informed me in terms of what people of color here in this country, um, which at that time, back in the 80s, was majority white, that's changing, right? And that's one of the reasons why people are, white people are frantic in some ways, um, because of the changing demographics. But anyway, I came back with that understanding and just thought, oh, I just want to blend in. After about six months of people being, interested in my hair color and wanting to touch my hair or wanting to talk to me because I looked different or, you know, and spoke English as a native language and that kind of thing. Amazing culture, beautiful people. And it brought up those kinds of things. So I came back and was started doing regular stints. Um, You know, I've been involved with white suburban wealthy churches my whole time in ministry. I, I went to seminary thinking that I would go work with oppressed peoples, and as ways well I am, <laughs> uh, as in white people, um, in, in, in interesting ways, but what has happened was, you know, I was waving this peace and justice banner, and the only people, the only churches that would respond to me were wealthy white churches. I was so interested about that, and, and that's continued to be the case. So what I would do and what I have done in each of those congregations has been to take people from safe environments and get them out of their comfort zones. Mm. And whether it's working with the homeless in New York City on the streets overnight, taking food and having hospitality and conversation with people, just seeing them as another face. And in fact, I would tell people uh, with this group called the Midnight Run, as I would take folks from the congregation, you're gonna see the face of God in the homeless person or the person without uh, housing that you meet. Mm -hmm. Um, I also regularly took people to places in rural Central America in Nicaragua and in Dominican Republic. I'd spend a summer in Brazil too during seminary to again, get out of my comfort zone and to see how other people live. Mm. and that has been so important in having compassion and knowing that the way that i live which is of privilege is not shared by everyone and mm. then being able to talk about that in the communities in which i've served.
0: Mm. So so i want to get into in just a little bit what has been some of the responses of the people that you serve but before we do there's another piece that you've told me in terms of, you know, looking at other groups of people and how you've actually had to to uh, minister to affluent people, but then when you were a journalist, reporting a different side of the fence. So tell our audience a little bit about that, and then how you actually balanced that when you got ready to proca- proclaim the gospel on Sunday mornings.
1: So, uh, yes, you and I talked about the fact that on sometimes uh, before a Sunday morning, I would do a news shift from 2 to 10, 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Saturday. And sometimes those would take me into very urban, uh, rough settings with, again, I can remember one time that I went to a wake of a gang member. And, um, you know, walking back with the photographer and him saying, oh, you're about to get airmail. And I'm like, what's that? And they're like, somebody's going to throw something down on us from the window. (laughs) And I was just kind of like, let's go in and be friends with everybody. And I learned very quickly you have to be very streetwise as well. And then only to go on Sunday morning to show up in the pulpit in an area of Greenwich, Connecticut, with four-acre zoning, so a very different demographic and still realizing that both of those realities are true for people, mm-hmm. and then how do you bring those together? How do you help people understand one another and have compassion for one another when those two realities are so divergent? So, um, so we had to talk about it. You know, and I would bring in on Sunday mornings stories that I had done. I went to Sing Sing Prison and was with convicted murderers. And one of the most powerful stories was of a man who ended up writing to the Innocence Project and ended up being exonerated, but he was in prison for 45 years. Oh. Um, and talking about that in a, a situation, and, you know, he was he – was, um, convicted for killing a white woman who was 96, he was African American. And, and he ended up being innocent from DNA evidence so many years later. So talking about that, and trying to get people to understand what, what was going on for him during all of those years of being misunderstood. Mm. So those kinds of things. The, The other thing too, that I'll share real quickly is that You know, I, um, in the last church that I served, we had a a 15-year relationship that started before I got there with an African-American Baptist church in the next town. And quickly, I became friends with the pastor. He was very generous in spirit with me, and he ended up doing my wedding two years ago. But um, at one point, he it was probably like six or seven years ago, he um, let me know about a vigil that was being that was taking place around uh, um, anti-racism, and there was something that happened, I forgot what that particular news cycle was, but um, it was going to be over in Bridgeport, which is a very different demographic from where I lived, and so he said it was going to be at one of his colleagues' churches. I went, I took my high school-aged daughter with me, we were the only white people there, and I was honored to have been invited up into the, and then you know about how that is in the black church, to have been honored to have been invited to speak with all of these male African-American pastors. And my daughter sat by herself in the the congregation along with a very black crowd there. And I remember it it was so gracious of them to ask me to speak uh, among them. And I got up and did a confessional of of how white privilege and, uh, and how I have been part of that and to have been received um, so graciously there. But again, it's another way. And it was, it was important for me to have taken my daughter to show her that this is not a scary place. These are people just like us who have experienced tremendous pain and injustice. And I think that along with, you know, experiences in um, Nicaragua, where she and she, I've taken her, that's made her want to go into the Peace Corps in Africa. Mm. You know, it's it's helped shape her to know that she wants to be a part of making things different and changing things for people.
0: Mm. I love your, your, your life's journey in which you've talked about your own transformation and being involved i love also that there are opportunities where you engage in these conversations with the congregants but talk to us a little bit about how those conversations have been received because i know that they haven't all been rosy and and i also know from the work that i do on Dismantling Racism, where I've had white clergy to say directly to me, the people in my congregation do not want to hear about this. And the reason why they're coming to me is so that we can help, you know, devise sort of a plan to help them to begin to preach and to teach and to talk about social justice. So what's been some of your experiences with these conversations?
1: I have had ever since the beginning of my, in my first church, when I got back from An experience uh, in Central America where I preached about it and I was told by somebody who had power um, that that was too political a sermon Um, and I don't preach politics I don't name uh, the, the leaders of the country whoever they may be but I do talk about them as I believe as a Christian clergy person how it relates to the gospel and so I've had to kind of say, hmm, this is the gospel at different points. I've had people say a prayer about refugees was too political. And I said, hmm, you know, Jesus was a refugee. <laughs> what do you do? Um, I've, you know, so I've, again, it's doing that centering practice, right, of looking at not reacting, but just kind of being curious about what's going on for them. And I haven't been good at it all the time. Absolutely not. I've had people tell me, uh, definitely during the Black Lives Matter stuff, they didn't like my sermon. Uh, they didn't want me to talk about that. But there was, you know, there have been reasons why the communities I've served have stayed mostly white, um, because it works for them, right? And so coming in and bringing in some something to challenge. Um, our attitudes and the things that have been, that have made the church, the white church so consistent for decades and decades, um, to challenge that is, um, uh, can cause mutiny. <laughs> so, and, and, and I want, I want to hear a little bit
0: more about um that mutiny when we return from our break and to also hear a little bit more just from your perspective about the times where you've chosen not to preach about it for the sake of your own sanity and for other reasons that we can go into after the break how you resolve that within yourself because we are called to be uh prophetic and to proclaim because we are in our faith uh, Christian, to proclaim the gospel. And I think for all of us who consider ourselves spiritual leaders, we are called to talk about what's going on in the times and we can't talk about everything, but we do have to be able to talk about the issues. So when we come back, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that, that mutiny and how you reconcile within yourself um, what you will proclaim from the pulpit this is dismantle racism i'm your host the reverend dr tlc with my guest the reverend uh shannon white and we'll be right back
2: howdy i am joseph franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast gateway to the smokies it airs on talkradio.nyc every tuesday night from 6 p.m to 7. every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the great smoky mountains national park and surrounding areas This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on TalkRadio.nyc. Are you a cannabis enthusiast? A cannabis professional? or interested in entering the cannabis space.
0: I'm Johnny Tsunami, and this is Planet Paco Lolo, a less taboo view.
2: On our show, we will discuss the cannabis world through the perspective of various cannabis professionals. Tune in every Thursday evening, Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m., Talk Radio NYC, Planet Paco Lolo, a less taboo view.
0: mental racism. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. TLC. My guest today is the Reverend Shannon White. Before the break, we were talking about uh, how do we bring this conversation of racial and social justice in to the faith community? And what are some of the responses of the congregants, particularly in white affluent areas? And Shannon, you mentioned the word um, mutiny and some might find that to be a little extreme but maybe it is so talk talk a little bit about you know we've heard some of the responses that people have said to you but often emails don't end there and comments don't end there it stirs up a little something in the church so what if what's been some of the other things that have occurred
1: well, this, I'm not talking about emails. People directly talk to me, which is a good thing. <laughs> I would much prefer to have it in conversation than just a one-sided email. Um, and I will say, I have loved every single congregation I've been of which I've been a part, and I've led. So this is. You know the the bigger picture is what's important of keeping relationship intact. And if you're going to have any kind of piece of change, you can't come out and hit people over the head every single Sunday. You just can't. There's a the the prophetic yes and the pastoral. So, for instance, um, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on the the sermon was from suspicion to curiosity. So kind of going from looking at it from a different way of not just coming out and hammering something, but just kind of saying, what in us would approach someone who's different than we are from a suspicious manner? And what what needs to go down deeper inside to be curious? And it shifts the energy around. So, so that's one piece. But I did have, you know, one... Congregant, who was a leader at one point, you know, when I said, We're going to talk about race tonight at a at a board meeting. And the person said, Well, what do you want us to do? And, you know, do you want us to go take food over there? And I, I said, No, it's not about me telling you what to do. What do you want to do? What's coming up in you that wants and needs to connect? And it really is about Having relationship, right? It's not just because otherwise it gets to be the haves and the have nots. If I'm going to go and serve a community that's struggling a little bit more and I don't have a relationship with them, it's me giving something to them. And that does not create a give and take that's uh, that's optimal. Right. And particularly in this work where there needs to be conversation around the impact of racism in communities, Mm -hmm. So it's keeping that on. So you know, but there there have been you know it's, it's more painful to think about. It than not. I mean, those things. I mean, you know, as a pastor, it yeah. matters to you what what takes place. And so you know, there are there are sometimes like last Sunday I preached on um, Psalm twenty three because I felt like people needed to be refreshed and renewed and rebuilt mm. at a time when. Uh, when COVID is here, I mean, you know, so you've had all of those situations with the the death of George Floyd that brought forth on a whole different level the killings of innocent Mm -hmm. black men, Mm -hmm. uh, unarmed black men in a lot of cases, um, where that along with COVID then has caused communities of which I've been a part who are used to being in power and control out of power and control. So you've got all those kinds of feelings too. So to address those things as a pastoral leader, as well as to talk about the important things about what's going on racially in our country, um, it has to be balanced. Well, it has to be balanced, but
0: what I find from listening to uh, white clergy and from even my own experience in a white congregation that You know, again, when people come to church and they've dealt with whatever they have had to deal with out in the world during the week, they're coming to church to find some sort of solace. And many people don't want to be confronted with taking a look at themselves, but really that's what the gospel is about. That's really what (laughs) spiritual experience is about is taking a look at ourselves. But I know that there is something that we often have to deal with as clergy that gets in the way of what we preach sometimes. And that is this financial piece because yes. folks will say, listen, I'm taking my money and going somewhere else if you're going to preach this, particularly around race. And so, um, I, I don't know. Hey, you want to share any experiences related
1: to that? <laughs> sure. that's I, I've had people that were um, very substantial. In fact, probably our biggest uh, at, at one congregation Uh, biggest, one of the biggest givers who basically said, I'm taking my money elsewhere. And I'm like, okay, blessings on your way. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the thing is, is I I do believe in a God that will provide and Mm. that the money will come from some other place to help keep that congregation going and thriving. So Mm. it's um, that, I've seen way too many times God show up in my life to provide that I can be that voice of faith and help guide a congregation through those kinds of things. Um, So
0: I want to, if I could just pause just for a second, because I think the particularly folks who are clergy and folks who are in a faith community need to hear what you just said, is having the faith. That God, Spirit, Source, whatever it is that people call their higher level of consciousness, will provide. Because what happens is when big donors say that I'm leaving the church, the church goes in a panic. Right. And what you said is what I heard you say, and you can add more to this: is that your groundedness in your faith helps you lead a congregation. Through those difficult times. And I feel like it's important for clergy who struggle with how much do I push, how much do I proclaim the prophetic word, and they worry about the finances. What you said is powerful.
1: Well, and to be quite honest, I needed to shore myself up and remind myself of that at times too, because it's painful. Mm Because you think, oh my goodness, you know, this budget, and you know. I've been in churches with, you know, that aren't mega churches by any means, but they're, you know, several hundred members. And when you when you lose one or two or three, that makes a dent, right? So, uh, and then, you know, ultimately, let's get real. It's about, you know, can they afford to pay me? So, you know, or do I need them to go look for something else? So, um, fortunately, I will say that the congregations in which I've served have, had other people who shared that vision of God mm-hmm. will provide and the desire to hear those messages. And there were enough of the people who wanted to hear those messages that stayed and that will serve them well. in the in the kingdom of God. Right. <laughs> right. So
0: what's interesting is when I hear you say it, it makes a dent, it makes a dent and then there's still overflow. So it's yes. making that dent is all relative because I know that I've been in places where if it gets below a certain amount and there's still there's still abundance, but if it gets below a certain amount, people are worried. And so I think that it's important for us, even in talking about the other, is right. to look at that even when we look at racial inequalities, there are or inequities. I prefer to use that that term, but even when we look at those racial inequities, we can see the intersectionality of economic inequities as well and the intersectionality of race and economic um, uh, injustices as well. And that's something that we need to discuss in our churches even more often. What I find though, is that it's easier for folks to, Dole out the money, like you said, to to like when they say, what can we do to dole out the money or to dole out other resources, but not do the personal work that's needed because ultimately it's about the personal work. And then we go out farther into the world. And, and as I say, we have these shared relationships where we begin to say, I am going to help the least of these I'm very curious about your uh, perspective of, even when we look at religion and racism within what we proclaim from a religious place, there are two things that I think about. One is a story that you and I talked about actually prior to the show, as Presbyterians, we actually, our denomination was split Mm-hmm. years ago and yep. we have now the presbyterian U, uh usa and we have presbyterians of america it was split over slavery yep. and not only that um there is a story of a presbyterian pastor in the south leaving his pulpit to attend a lynching and then coming back to church in order to continue his sermon. And so not being able to see the imbalance of that. And 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 you know, white to uh Robert P. Jones in his book, White Too Long, talks <laughs> about white supremacy undergirding Christianity. We are gonna have to take a break in a minute, but I'd love to know your perspective around um how sometimes religion actually perpetuates a system that white is supreme because I know when people think about white supremacy they think about the hoods and the lynching and etc and white supremacy isn't just that it's really about keeping white as the the superior uh standards for which we should abide by and keeping white folks
1: at the top really, indeed right? and there's a, there's a reason why Martin Luther King Jr. said that The 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week.
0: That's right. That's right. So I'd love when we come back from the break for you really to talk a little bit about uh, racism and religion, uh, if you would. So we will be right back with uh, Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be back with Reverend Shannon White. Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock Radio Show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK time on talkradio.nyc for
2: interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey?
0: We are back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today is the Reverend Shannon White. And before the break, we were talking about uh, religion and racism and in the ways in which Christianity in particular um, Mm -hmm. has really been used in a way to perpetuate racism. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that, Reverend Shannon.
1: So I read also White Too Long uh, from by Robert P. Jones, and it it is such a helpful uh, account of the history of just even in the last 40, 50 years, um, 60 years, of the movement and how how the church, and I'm talking about all denominations, because the author also said that, you know, that Christianity, we think that you know of progressives or people on the religious left are, are somehow better, or people up in the north and the northeast are are beyond this, But that's not true. He said that that white supremacy is kept in place by Christian culture, and um, I'll, I'll just read a couple of quotes. White percent. White supremacist culture has deflected any attempt to trace the ideology to its religious source, that God ordained the separation of races and has chosen whites to civilize and dominate the earth. Biblical inerrantists, descendants of Cain in the Old Testament, are punished by God. I mean, whether you're an inerrantist, which means that the Bible doesn't have any mistakes in it, that it's perfectly, every single word is by God, which... That's a denomination I grew up in as a a fundamentalist and in the South. Well, actually, that was in the Northeast in New York. But that has seeped down and has kept congregations um, protecting their own, you know, using theology to say that God ordained it this way. Um, And then there's the whole piece that... um, Reverend Hudgens in the civil rights area in Mississippi said, the cross of Christ had nothing to do with the social and political upheavals outside the walls of the church. Mm -hmm. So keeping that idea that sermons should be happy and make you feel good and not deal with the things going outside, that's what I've been dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I've, I've heard, rather than that the gospel informs the way that we look at everything, that Jesus interacted with the Political culture of his day and called people to account, and and oftentimes Christian theology and doctrine do not. They focus so much on individual sin and salvation, and and don't look at the entire structure. Um, So yes, well, I think that.
0: That actually might be a difference, though, between what happens in white churches versus what happens in Black churches, because I, for many of us, we are preaching a liberation theology for people of color, Black people in particular, we have to look through that Bible and find ourselves, even in the Old Testament, that's why we can identify with the Israelites there, is because we see it as a liberation uh, theology, and yes. we have to look at those stories, for instance, of Cain and Abel and go, uh, you know, or, or, or the curse of Ham. You know, we have to look at those stories and say, wait a minute, where am I in that? And that doesn't often happen in, when I have been a pastor of a white church or if I'm sitting in a white church. In churches that are mostly of color, we deal with the issues of the day. There's no way I can go on a Sunday morning and not help congregants be able to get through the oppression that we experience as a people that is steeped in uh, a system of racism, but also to be able to say, wait, is this Bible for you? The Bible that we're looking at, where are you in this Bible? And I have to say, sometimes even challenging people of color about the stories in the Bible. Like you said, is this, is this a true, is this actually what this says? You know, there's a challenge for all of us. So we have talked to today about, uh, you know, a bit about how um, racism and religion are intertwined. And I wonder if there are other things that you'd like to add to that, because I feel like there's so many other questions I can ask you in general, but I just want to get some of your final, you know, kind of thoughts about religion and racism or religion and its role of how we can dismantle racism.
1: So I would say, and I I say this very humbly because I've, I've have not done as much as I could do. I mean, we can always do more, right? So it's, it's taking it each day at a time and doing what you can each day to have the relationships with people who will like yours and my relationship. I trust that you will confront me if I say something that's off. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a friend, my best friend from high school who we both know um, has always been that for me, too, and kind of, you know, been a a mirror for me to to mirror back something Um, to do little things. I I remember I did a a book group on white fragility. uh, that book, White Fragility, which was very powerful for me too. And I, I remember just feeling discouraged because there were only eight people that came and, you know, they were kind of people that were kind of on the periphery of the congregation. Some of them were were part, but the just so happened, you know, and I, I got discouraged with it. And, but the school superintendent, who was not a member of my congregation, of the community, um, called me and just said, hey, can I come to this? And I said, absolutely, come. So we had this book group for five six weeks and he came every time and we talked and i had all my things i looking at liberation theology in the middle of it too and all that and um a couple of years later um when i left that congregation he called and said i just want you to know that book group changed the town because i uh i, I ordered 150 copies of that book and then had the author um come and we have all these groups and it's changed the way we think about curriculum so I guess in some of my parting words I would just say you just never know what your efforts will do what one relationship going out of your comfort zone and having a relationship with someone who's different than you are who experiences life differently than you or me how important that is and how one relationship can mushroom into a lot of different relationships start in a book club Start, uh, if, if, if nothing else, get with other people who will be honest and reflect back um, mm-hmm. because that's the way change is made. It's not going it, to, you know, it little chips away at something that's been so entrenched in our culture and in our society since the beginning of time. People have always wondered where they were in relationship it's that whole thing of the intellect where do i measure up right and white people have said we measure higher so it's then exposing the ego and nobody likes to have that done <laughs> but that's, that's the cause of the gospel right is to expose the ego so that we can live freer because the reality is as robert p jones says it's white people who are suffering yes Yes, people of color are also suffering in the system, but white people are, we are left suffering because we are not living to our full potential. We're not living as free human beings.
0: Mm, I love I, that's, that's beautifully stated because... We don't realize what we're missing out on when we're trying to hold so tight to what we think we already have. And so what I've heard you say in our conversation today is that you have to be willing to let go of something. And for clergy, particularly, I want to say this to white clergy who are out there, is that there is a responsibility. Because when we accepted this call, there is a responsibility to preach and to Call out the things that are uh, socially unjust, because for those of us who proclaim that we are disciples of Christ, that's what the radical, revolutionary Jesus did. And so, that's you know, not to proselytize or anything like that. For whatever your faith belief is, it is really about reaching out. And so, I've heard you say today the importance of letting letting go of some things in order to gain greater in addition to being able to preach what we're called to preach, but also their sacrifices. When people choose to come out and say, I'm taking my money elsewhere, taking my toys, and I'm going to go play elsewhere.
1: And that's got to be okay
0: too. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But also to know yourself, to know yourself, and then to question, to question, question, question. We should all still be questioning even our faith beliefs right? And so, Reverend Shannon, I just want to thank you so much for being my guest today. There's so much more that we could have talked about, and of course, we'll talk more uh, uh, in the future and offline, of course, but thank you for sharing with us today. I do want to just invite those of you who might be interested in uh, connecting with Reverend Shannon. You can connect with her through uh, going to my website at sacredintelligence.com. You can send me an email and let me know that uh, you'd like to connect with her. And if you'd like to know more about how to engage in conversations around dismantling racism, please do look on my website again at sacredintelligence.com and you'll find all of the courses that are offered. Stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Liebowitz, where he talks with his guests and they help you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. We'll close today with a blessing from the Reverend Shannon White.
1: May you be blessed on this day. May you be opened to be with and interact with people who are different from yourself. May you embrace the discomfort that you feel And may you move through it and connect to form new bonds, grace and peace.
0: That's it, everybody. Be well, be blessed. And until next time, go out and do the good work that you're called to do. Bye for now.
1: Uplift, Educate, Empower.